0: Today's episode is brought to you by Belvedere. Produced in one of the world's longest-running distilleries, Belvedere Vodka is the world's finest all-natural vodka. Crafted by a collective of master distillers, Belvedere is made with non-GMO Polish rye, which is so important, pure water, and no additives. Recognized for quality, Belvedere was named the ISC World Vodka Producer of the Year in 2015. 2016 and 2017, back to back to back world champions. Enjoy a delicious cocktail with Belvedere Vodka today and remember to always drink responsibly. We're also brought to you by Mattress Firm. Connecting sleep to sports isn't easy, but here goes Mattress Firm is America's neighborhood mattress store, and it should be your goal to check out the deals they have going on every day. Their mattresses are softer than your rival team's defense, they get a 10 out of tennis. You'll love your new bed. Okay, all terrible dad jokes aside, head to mattressfirm.com slash podcast and stretch your budget further than a gymnast before a floor routine. Welcome to the JJ Reddick Podcast, where I interview some of the biggest names in sports and culture, as well as give you an inside look at life in the NBA. Our guest today is one of the most awarded and renowned chefs in the world, Grant Atkins.
1: I was a sous chef at the French Laundry at the time, and you know, thought, gone to the best culinary school. I was working at the best restaurant in America. I was a sous chef. I thought I knew restaurants. I thought I knew kitchens. And from the second I walked into Oboe, it was like I was on Mars. Everything was unfamiliar.
0: I talked with Grant about restaurant rankings, what his dream meal would be, and what exactly is progressive American food. That's up next. Hope you enjoy. We have a great show for you today. I'm joined by world-renowned chef Grant Ackett's, whose flagship restaurant Alinea is a Michelin 3-star restaurant in Chicago, Illinois. It has been consistently rated in the top 50, if not the top 10, on the San Pellegrino Top 50 list of the world's best restaurants for the last 10 years. For anyone that doesn't know this by now, if you've listened to my podcast over the last couple of years, you know that I'm really into food. My wife and I basically plan vacations around restaurants, and we have tried to travel all over the world to try different foods. Even last year, my buddies and I went to Japan for essentially a food trip and hit up some of the top spots in Japan. I've done the same in Italy. At some point, I will make it to San Sebastian in Spain for a little foodie trip there. When I get the NBA schedule, I immediately go to Open Table or resi, or talk, or any of those restaurant reservation websites, and I figure out what restaurants I can hit up during the NBA season, I'm constantly looking at lists. It's the ranker in me, but I'm constantly looking at lists. GQ's best new restaurants of the year, Esquire's best new restaurants of the year. I use Eater and Infatuation literally on a daily basis. So the opportunity for me to talk to a chef of grand stature is absolutely amazing. I, I can't believe that I had this opportunity. And he has some great perspectives on things, unsurprisingly. And I, I really think you'll enjoy this conversation. So without further ado, here's my combo with Grant Ackles. I got to be honest with you, this is, this is absolutely the chillest spot that I've ever recorded yeah. a podcast. We thought it would be appropriate. We're in the basement of one of your bars. Yes. Um, this is pretty cool. A lot of people probably have, have watched your episode of Chef's Table. And one of the things you talk about on there is just sort of a lack of rules. Right. And just there's an element of just playfulness, but also um, you're, you're kind of fucking with people. Yes, intentionally, <laughs> of course. Intentionally. Right. Yeah, and so that really, like, that sort of encapsulates the meal, right? In that you know you're you're on your toes, your taste buds are on their toes because right. you're, you're 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 getting these unexpected flavors or something that appears one way tastes like something else, but there's a theatrical element involved. For us, it's about not looking at a restaurant
1: solely for the purpose of feeding people. It's about curating an experience, right? It's uh, playing with emotions and trying to evoke this certain sense of entertainment, wonderment, curiosity, all of those things with food, which is something that's always been a a really strong component to, to what I've done in my career over the years with with cooking, you know.
0: Do you think that, I I think about this a lot and I have these conversations with people that don't really identify as as a quote-unquote foodie or or not Mm -hmm. really into, you know, just the food culture that has really exploded in the last... 10 to 15 years or 15 to 20 years, however you want to mark it, but what is the best explanation you can give of sort of, I, I know you, you like progressive American mm-hmm. and not molecular gastronomy, but right. what is the best explanation that you can give of sort of the, the food that you are creating? I, I think it's really important for me to get down
1: to dovetailing a couple of things together. And evoking emotion is very important. I want people to either laugh or feel intimidated, which is weird yeah. with when, you, when you start talking about yeah. charging a lot of money for, for people to come into your restaurant and, and eat dinner. That element of curiosity, nostalgia, is a big thing for us. So, you know, you have these emotional triggers that we can kind of pull and push to try to tell a story with the dining experience. It's the ultimate for me and in my creative realm to be able to have the opportunity to do that with food, but also like with every element of the dining experience. So you have serviceware and interaction with the front of the house team. And, you know, there's all of these cadences with the the course of the evening that you
0: can really play with people. you You mentioned the word nostalgia. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm going to ask you about the elements, the nostalgic elements of your life that you, you know, bring out in your cooking. But I think the nostalgia factor for me is one of the reasons that I love food. Mm -hmm. And it's because when I eat something, it can remind me of something that happened a long time ago. Every time I eat a, a, a homemade biscuit, I think of my mother every time I have a great glass of wine. I think of my wife hmm. and there's all these factors, but it's also not just nostalgic factors from the past. It, it could be something that's very recent. And, and when I think of great meals that I have, it's, it's always sort of intermingled with like the people that I was with and the memories right. that we made and the things we talked about that night or the, right. something that we were celebrating. And so for me, that's sort of what has always been really attractive about pursuing great food. Does that, does that make sense? Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things
1: that, that people don't directly realize is that your sense of smell and your sense of taste are very, very literal triggers for nostalgia and memory because we all, we all file those away. You know, you, you mentioned biscuits. And, like, for me, like, when I smell a roast turkey, I immediately think of my grandmother because every year we would go for Thanksgiving at my grandmother's house. So like those things are, they're very visceral, you know, and powerful.
0: Yeah. There's a creative element, obviously, to what you do now. Mm -hmm. But going sort of back to your upbringing, your parents, I believe they had a diner. Yep. It's a very simple Midwestern food, typical diner food. Yes. And you decided you wanted to be a chef. And you ended up going to culinary school, and then you ended up in Thomas Keller's kitchen. Yes. You have this incredible foundation. And I- I'm wondering about that time at French Laundry. For, for anyone that doesn't know, French Laundry was for a long time and still is one of the, one of the best restaurants in the world. It was really established Napa and, and Northern California as a culinary destination. And, and Thomas Keller, the chef, of course, is, is now a, a world-famous chef. But I've always, he reminds me of my father for some reason. I always picture him just running this really calm, austere kitchen. Like, what was it like working for him? And what did you learn?
1: It was, working at the French Laundry was the most important aspect of my journey of of becoming a, a cook and quite honestly, becoming an adult. Like, you mentioned him being fatherly. Yeah. He is very fatherly. He prioritizes mentorship. He prioritizes teaching, but not only about cooking, about life lessons and trying to make people just better people. It's very stately, if you will. And, um, you know, when I was there, I was only 21 years old. And he is exactly 20 years older than me. So he very much was a father figure for me. It was an amazing time. And he's a really good cook. So, <laughs> yeah, so yeah. he taught me how to cook as
0: well, which was, which was awesome. This is a, sort of an aside, but I've, I've eaten the French Laundry a few times. And the first time I went to Napa in 2010, it was right after I'd gotten married. And my sister was like, we got to go to the French Laundry. We got to go to the French mm-hmm. Laundry. So in my sort of research into the French Laundry, I came across the restaurant magazine, San Pellegrino, top 50 list. Yep. Okay. So I've sort of used that as a guide, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on that.
1: I I think it's a really good guide. Okay. You know, awards and accolades are like everything. It doesn't matter what discipline, whether it be restaurants or sports or anything else. They're they're a bit tenuous Mm -hmm. because... Restaurants are a matter of opinion. Like, we might go to the same restaurant, and you're going to love it. And I'm going to go, nah, it was okay. (laughs) Right? right. So how do you award a single restaurant the number one restaurant in the world? How is that even possible? How do you have a world champion
0: of restaurants? Right. There's no tournament. There's no
1: tournament. (laughs) It is very subjective.
0: Right, Right, Even like with when we hand out a subjective award, like MVP. Sure. Okay? Sports writers... Coaches, whoever is voting on it, can look at advanced stats, 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 team record. Yeah, We have have all these numbers, data, exactly. We have all these data that we can look at. And so you have this top 50 list, and you're like, one restaurant is number one. Right. And another restaurant, let's say, is number 41. Right. Is it that much better? Is it that much worse? The
1: answer, honestly, is, is no. Yeah. I think anyone on that list, any restaurant on that list is a... World class restaurant, right? Now, I would be lying if I said that I wouldn't want Alinea to be number one yeah. because that's what we strive for every day. And uh, the people that have received number one, 11 Madison Park, yeah. my good friends, Will Gadara and, and Daniel Hume, and Renee Zeppi at Noma, and Ferran Audrey at El Bouille, they're my closest friends like they're and i genuinely respect them but there's that competitive nature (laughs) that tenacious like competitive nature where you're just like we're better than them right (laughs) you know and i I think that's natural that's what makes
0: us good at what we do is we we strive to be the best are there rivalries in in the chef world oh of course in the same way that like when I was in LA, like we weren't much of a rivalry because they beat us 10 straight times, but <laughs> Golden State and us, like we knew okay. it was a battle. You're not necessarily going up against someone else, but you mentioned that competitiveness. Yeah. So how is that expressed then? Like, how do you measure that besides just some subjective ranking?
1: Well, I think we all, regardless of what we do, if you have that personality, that traits, I almost think you're your own rival, right? Like you... Wake up every morning and you go, can I get better today? Yeah. How can I make it better than yesterday? And again, I don't, I don't think there's any one, whether it be the Michelin Guide or World's 50 Best or New York Times, Zagat, whatever sure. it may be. I don't think there's one comprehensive guide that is the the final stamp. I think we all wake up in the morning and go, how can we make this restaurant better? How can I cook better? How can I make... The guest experience better, and that was why we we after ten years of having Olenio open, we decided to tear it apart and blow it up and reconceive it because it was always about not being complacent. Yeah, you know,
0: I guess was there an element of staleness, like what, like in the restaurant industry, ten it. years, eleven years, like yeah, yeah, a fear of it. Okay, because in constant that's, that's fear a long time. Yeah, for something to be as open and as acclaimed as you were, continuously. Bank. Honestly, financially it was doing
1: better than it ever had. So like we have this successful thing creatively, financially, you know, it was all clicking. But there was always the fear of what if tomorrow, next week, next year it becomes irrelevant? And that to me was always like just very scary to
0: become irrelevant when then does like a chef make it like when does a chef feel like he's made it because it's easy as an athlete it's like you sign a big contract for some people it's getting drafted but for a lot of people it's you you sign a big contract or you make an all-star game or you win a championship like there's all these these sort of these key moments and then at some point like you're done playing and Right. You can look back on your career and say, I, I, I made it. I did everything I wanted to do, or I did right. most of what I wanted to do.
1: Yeah, I feel like it's different for a oh, lot, yeah. for everyone, right? Yeah. Some people, it's about money. Some people, it's about, when we talk about Thomas, it's about mentorship. Some people, it's about a legacy. Like, what do you leave behind? For me, it's probably about all of those things. Like, how do we, we have about 300 and, 50 people in our company now we have five restaurants there's an element of responsibility with that as well to provide for those people yeah. like when we when we talk about when me and my business partner nick talk about what are we going to do next that's always part of the equation is we can't abandon the people that we have we yeah. can't even put them at risk
0: you know yeah.
1: which is difficult. At times, but interesting.
0: Hang tight. We'll have more with Grant Ackett's after this quick break. Are you hiring? posting your position to job sites and waiting and waiting for the right people to see it, ZipRecruiter knew there was a smarter way, so they built a platform that finds the right job candidates for you. ZipRecruiter learns what you're looking for, identifies people with the right experience, and invites them to apply to your job. These invitations have revolutionized how you find your next hire. In fact, 80% of employees who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. And ZipRecruiter doesn't stop there. They even spotlight the strongest applications you receive so you never miss a great match. The right candidates are out there. ZipRecruiter is how you find them. Businesses of all sizes trust ZipRecruiter for their hiring needs. Right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ziprecruiter.com/redick, r e d i c k. That's ziprecruiter.com/redick, r e d i c k. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. And now back to my interview with Grant. This is just a complete aside. I've heard you're just like an unbelievable dude, everything I read about you. And there's certain aspects of of chefs Mm -hmm. that, you know, whether it's on television, movies, whatever, something plays out in the media of this like bad boy nature. You know, that it's it's a hard partying lifestyle. And to hear you talk about you know, your desire and like your, your, your sort of drive to provide for your team and the people you work with. I think that's incredible. I really do. I think it's incredible. I,
1: I feel like, again, getting this from Chef Keller, but I learned, especially after I went through cancer, you can't do it by yourself. There has to be a team, right? And The only way to nurture that growth and nurture that team is to provide and check your ego and work as a network, work as a team. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's been
0: super important to me in my career. Going back to this rivalry thing. Yes. Do you have opportunities to eat at these other. Michelin three-star restaurants and San Pellegrino top 50 restaurants on a regular basis where, first of all, I assume you, you know, you said you're friends with these guys. So you go in, you're, you're friends with them. They're going to treat you right. They're going to treat you right. a great meal, but secretly in the back of your mind, you're like, uh, we do that a little bit better.
1: <laughs> For sure. I mean, <laughs> I think that's human nature and it goes back to that competitive spirit, but probably more important than that is I'm very fortunate to be able to travel the world and eat at these restaurants, you know, through my work. And more times than not, you're inspired. Okay. You know? Mm-hmm. And sometimes it actually, you're so inspired that it makes you mad, to be completely honest. Like, uh-huh. I'll go to a cellar de Conroca Roca in Spain and be like, that was really, really good. Darn it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but again, I think that plays into the whole thing and that's what makes us all better. You yeah. Know? yeah.
0: Yeah. I've had a few meals. So I, that was 2010. I started using this list as a guide and every year I try to hit up a couple of restaurants okay. somewhere in the top 50. I, I live in Brooklyn. So, you know, there's a bunch of restaurants in New York, but obviously we travel enough that we get to experience this stuff. And I've had truthfully just the best meals of my life at at some of these restaurants. Mm -hmm. And then I've had some really big misses. Yeah. And the number really has never mattered. And I'm glad you kind of said this as well, but, you know, it is just a guide. And it's like, well, I've had a a great meal at number 88. Sure. I've had an okay meal at number 32. Right. But it has been a little bit of a fun pursuit to kind of cross these sort of food destination bucket list items off my list every year.
1: Well, that's the thing too is, you know, every night, not to make the sports analogy again, but every night is a, a new night. And sometimes we have great nights and sometimes we have off nights, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, you can go to a great restaurant and have a bad experience because maybe the kitchen was off or mm-hmm. the front of the house team was off. You know, it's just, it's...
0: My last game, I shot six for 19. Okay. And was two for 12 from three. <laughs> Those are, those are awful stats. <laughs> so, Fair enough. So maybe I should give these chefs a break. Now, how much are you cooking or how much are you sort of a player as opposed to maybe being solely a director on most nights? More a player than most people would expect. Okay. If
1: I'm in, like this right now is very rare for me. Okay. Usually I'm in the kitchen if we're in Chicago maybe to a fault. There's some chefs that don't cook enough and they're not connected to the food. And then there's some chefs that maybe like myself that cook so much that they're not a director. They become a player in that regard. And I think that balance is super hard because I love cooking. So I'm always going to gravitate to that. But then You're supposed to back up and go, okay, well, we have a company of 350 people and we have a bar in New York City now and we have ambitions to open more places. So where's that fine line? Where's that balance? So it's more of
0: an expression or uh, just a pursuit of something that you love doing versus a control issue. Like, did you... Well, I think there's a bit of the control Okay, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you admitted that. Because um, when my wife and I cook at home, I just, I have major control issues. Yeah. I do. Our first probably eh, four or five years living together, we had to feel each other out when we cooked. Yeah. And now we've got it down. Okay. She handles certain things. I handle certain things. And it's good. So but you, there divide, was that you divide back and, and conquer. You have yes, your skill for sets. for sure. Right. For sure. Yeah. She is a fantastic prepper. Okay. Just a fantastic prepper. <laughs> I like it. I like it. <laughs> But yeah, so there is an element of control then yeah. in terms of, I don't know, is it I can do this better than someone or is it, is it really just like I want to be in it? I think both, not in
1: necessarily an egotistical way where I can cook that better than that person. I also feel like it's really important that the team members recognize and see me enjoying cooking and
0: are around that. You know, it's leading by example. Sure. The right? the passion is, is yeah, contagious. Absolutely. When we talk about we talk about these restaurants, what is your current cost of a ticket to Alinea? It's variable pricing. Okay. But roughly two seventy five. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I've been at the French laundry and it's somewhere mm-hmm. in that ballpark. Yeah. Another Thomas Keller restaurant per se. Eleven yep. Mad, I've Eating at places that are a little higher and eaten at places a little lower. But for, I think for the average person, that's totally fucking insane. Oh, it's expensive. It's totally insane. Yeah. It's, I don't want to say it's like unapproachable, but it's almost like something that they can't grasp. They can't fathom. I agree. And you. I agree that it's insane, yeah. too. I mean, it's, but... Yeah. It's worth every single bite. <laughs> it really is. But how do you um, not how do you justify it? But how do you sort of? I assume there's some backlash. Like I would assume that at some point you've gotten a post on a Twitter account or oh, yeah. social media or Yelp. You guys probably aren't on Yelp, but something like that where somebody says this is just absolutely ridiculous. Why would you ever pay this amount of money for dinner? Absolutely,
1: and it's like, well, first of all, people don't really realize how much it costs to put that on. Yeah. And it's not like we're printing money with that $275. You know, it labor and rent and food costs and insurance and I mean it's it's fair. In in my opinion it's justified. The other thing that makes us second guess is why would we choose to have a, a small restaurant in Chicago that charges that much where you spend three and a half hours there eating. And yet you have major issues throughout the world about hunger and poor food systems and that sort of thing. So, you know, there's that avenue as well that often comes up where you have to kind of, you have to do both, right? You should be an advocate for these other things, but yet satisfy your, your creative yearnings with what you have. And, you know, I think it takes a. you see a lot more chefs doing that now, being proactive with food systems like Dan Barber. Sure. I've Soma. eaten at his restaurant. It's great. Yeah. You yeah, know, he normal. has initiatives all over the place with yeah. local farmers and that sort of thing. So,
0: All right. We'll have more with Grant, but first a word from today's sponsor. Buying tickets can be complicated and confusing, but there's a simpler way to buy with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event. Whether you're catching your favorite musician on tour, shopping for the perfect gift, or searching for a last-minute deal to see your favorite NBA team, SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. Nothing beats being there in person for the biggest plays of the year, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone. And it's by far the easiest way I've found to shop for tickets. I can be anywhere. And with just a few taps, I can instantly find seats. I actually used SeatGeek the other day. I was looking up tickets for some Philadelphia Phillies game once the MLB season starts. And I'm looking forward to using SeatGeek to buy my tickets. SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. SeatGeek saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. And to get you the most bang for your buck, SeatGeek grades every ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Make SeatGeek your go-to app for finding the best deals on every type of ticket, from sports and concerts to comedy and theater. Best of all, my listeners get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code JJ today. That's promo code JJ for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, right seat, right now, right from your phone. And now, back to Chef Grant Ackett's. You bring up Dan Barber, which is a great segue into just the way that food culture has changed. The restaurant industry has changed. Mm -hmm. Again, this is something that I've only sort of pursued for roughly 10 years since about 2008. It was actually when I started dating my wife, we just kind of randomly got into food together. But it certainly has been a shift in terms of people thinking more about where their food comes from and the sustainability of everything. Mm -hmm. If you could like... Sort of provide like a timeline because you, you were 1974, yeah, and you sort of grew up in this diner, and now you're talking about these initiatives with local farmers, right? That, that where this food eventually ends up, you know, on a tasting menu. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think that we can trace it back to.
1: I mean, even like what Alice Waters did at Chez Panisse in the late 70s was revelatory in that way prioritizing the locality. It just wasn't as widespread. Certainly, I think that movement got super popular, like you're saying, 10 years ago with a lot of the restaurants in Scandinavia, Noma, everybody in Copenhagen. It got super popular. And there's this misconception with me personally that because we are progressive American and molecular gastronomy that we're growing things in, in test tubes, right? Yeah, Yeah. We've always prioritized the farmer, the food source. And I think that's hugely important, even more so now with the world, the way that it, it's becoming, you know, whatever you feel about global warming and pollution and that sort of thing, it just is becoming more and more important, you know? and, increasingly the chefs have a soapbox that we get to stand on and people are watching us on TV and we're able to bring this awareness right about food and about these sort of things where 25 30 years ago there was no food network yeah. like nobody <laughs> cared right so now we you know we have the mouthpiece
0: is what I'm saying. There's literally 24 hours of programming right. on the right. Food Network. Do you feel when you approach making food that way that you are limited in any way? If you decide to sort of make food by the seasons or make food using sustainable practices, are you limited? If you
1: let yourself be. So we just got back from a pop up in Seattle. Okay. <clears throat> and typically when we do these things, we would prep. 80% of the food here in Chicago and either FedEx it or take it on the airplane with us. And I made the decision to not prep anything so that we could go to Seattle and prioritize the ingredients of the Pacific Northwest and be spontaneous. So when oftentimes for me at least when you force yourself into a adverse situation you have to fight your way to get out right? And oftentimes that requires you to be creative. And that's what happens. And we came up with a bunch of new stuff and it was awesome. Not being so premeditated and methodical uh, sometimes is an asset,
0: you know? No, it makes sense. makes total sense. I find that in basketball, that the more sort of nervous I am, Mm. the more on edge, the more I, I sense that that flight or fight, you know, paradigm. It, I, I play better. Um, I am actually am more creative on the court. Yeah, when that happens, when you're not thinking, when you're not
1: pre-planning every
0: right. every move or every shot, it, when you just kind of allow your natural instincts to to come through, it's right. that's sort of when that organic experience happens on the court, at least for sure. me. My my business partner Nick
1: has this. Kind of saying that he was, he was like, um, and he said this to me the, when we were about to open Olinia. He's like, "If you don't wake up in the morning and feel a little sick to your stomach, <laughs> you're not taking enough risk." Right, and you know, at the time, I was like, "You're out of your mind!" Like, right. who would want to do that?
0: But right. it makes sense. I don't enjoy the feeling of being comfortable, right? If that makes sense, yeah, hundred percent. yeah there's like, there's like a complacency to it that it mm-hmm. just. It's unnerving to me, and I think it's why, at least you know, in, in my career, I think it's why I've I've gotten better as I've gotten older. It's it's that sense of that there's got to be more. There's you know always ways to improve. Right. For you though, you've won a ton of awards. Your restaurants and your bars are critically acclaimed. What's that drive now? What's that sort of more or better? Besides, I know you mentioned you mentioned earlier, sort of, we can always improve. Right. right? What's 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 the end? What's the goal? What's the thing that's that's driving it? The honest answer
1: is, I don't know what the end is. And the fact that I can't see the end motivates me, if that makes sense. Uh-huh. So in other words, sure, we can improve every day and, and we can always say, well, we can be more creative and we can do X, Y, and Z. But now for me, now that we have a Winnie and next Royster aviary here and in in New York city, I wake up every morning going, what is the challenge today? And that could be something as simple as what's our new restaurant going to be? What city is it going to be in? Or it could be something as simple as like, how am I going to cut those vegetables today? It's (laughs) bizarre. And I think that's that innate, you know, going back to that creativity, but that competitive nature is like the not knowing is is a motivator
0: yeah you know hang tight we'll have more with grant ackett's after this quick break today's episode is brought to you by mattress firm everyone knows how important stretching is before an event so does mattress firm except it's your dollar your budget stretches further when you're shopping at america's neighborhood mattress store it's a true home run and you'll have a ball They're the head coaches when it comes to mattress expertise, but know this, they are more than mattress experts. They have a game plan that helps you transform your mattress into a bed. From adjustable bases and sheets to headboards and bedroom decor, they have you literally and figuratively covered up like your favorite cornerback. Go to mattressfirm.com slash podcast to see what deals are happening as I read this sentence to you. They even offer you a 120-night sleep trial to ensure perfection and a 120-night low-price guarantee so you know you paid the perfect price. Talk about a one-two punch, a knockout, if you will. Score big with a perfect bed. Head to mattressfirm.com slash podcast to get the play-by-play on how you can monumentally improve your sleep today, tonight, and tomorrow. And now back to my interview with Grant. My son is three and a half. Okay. All of a sudden, basketball has piqued his interest. Okay. So I bought him a little Fisher-Price hoop, and he figured out like two weeks ago how to actually catch a ball. He's always been able to shoot, he, he can catch a ball now. And now, so he wants to dribble and he can do two dribbles. So now he's working on dribbling three times. And Now he wants to dribble three times and shoot. And from a basketball standpoint, like it's, it's learning your skills and building these, this foundation. Mm-hmm. As a chef, I don't think it's that dissimilar in that you go to culinary school, you're, you're building this foundation, you're learning your craft while also simultaneously gaining confidence. And we talked about your, your time at French Laundry earlier, but that really wasn't the sort of the turning point in your career necessarily for what you do now. It was, right, it was, it was your time in Spain. Um, right. It's El Bulli. El Bulli. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I'm just curious about sort of that time and there were aha moments, if there was a, a specific you know moment while you were there that you were like, oh man, this is, this is how I want to cook. So at the time that
1: I, I worked five days at Obouli and Chef Keller had arranged that for me. It was a stage. Yeah. And I was a sous chef at the French Laundry at the time and, you know, thought, gone to the best culinary school. I was working at the best restaurant in America. I was a sous chef. I thought I knew restaurants. I thought I knew kitchens. And from the second I walked into Obouli, it was like I was on Mars, it was crazy. Everything was unfamiliar. How so? Give me, give me an example. The smells. Okay. The cooking equipment was all unfamiliar. Like based on like the French laundry was a very traditional French model. So there's a big stove in the middle of the kitchen and you walk into the Albuy kitchen and there was no stove at all. So you, it was so unfamiliar that that was the most important thing that I didn't know where I was. And it made me rethink cooking in general because I thought I knew my path. Being at the French Laundry, using that European model, that French model, that's what I would have done. And then when I went there and saw a chef taking tremendous amount of risk, expressing himself, he literally said to me, at one point in those five days, it was towards the end, He had me try something and said, this doesn't taste good. And I know it doesn't taste good. That's not the point of this dish. It's to make you think. And that's just, that was (laughs) a completely bizarre concept to me. You know? I
0: would love a chef to tell me that. (laughs) (laughs) What does that even mean? (laughs) No, no, that's that's interesting. Yes, I didn't realize it it was only five days. So that's like, that must've been just insane. It's one of the regrets of my life that I I did not get to dine there.
1: It was an amazing place. Yeah.
0: So when you're <laughs> this is gonna sound so random, but when you're uh you're like at home and you are cooking for yourself or your yep. family, like what do you what do you cook?
1: A lot of pasta. Okay. The same things everybody else cooks. Yeah. To be honest. You know, I love pizza. We make homemade pizzas at home with, with my two sons. When we eat at home it's pretty Normal stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But I love doing it though. So like even after working, you know, an 80 hour week on my one day off, I'll go home and start pulling stuff out of the refrigerator and
0: start cooking
1: like for hours just because I, I love it.
0: I read a quote that you said, the reason you like cooking is because you like to make other people happy. Yes. That basically sums everything up then. That At the core of what you're doing, that sums it up. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Pizza is like the greatest thing in the world. It is the, and the best thing in the world. I, uh, <laughs> I have eaten at a couple of the spots in Brooklyn that are sort of renowned. I actually just had, have you been to Lucali? Have you ever heard of Lucali? No, I haven't okay. been. It's in Carroll Gardens, but some people think it's the best pizza in Brooklyn. Okay. I, mean, I just went there for Roberta's. the second time. Well, I go to Roberta's all the time. Roberta's is easy to get into. Okay. okay. Lucali is like one of these places. It's BYOB. Like we went the other night. We got there. It was five o'clock in the afternoon on a Monday. It was raining. And there was a line around the block. And we stood in line, went up there, and they said, you can come back at seven to eat. So we went. You know, took a Uber over to like a bar a couple of minutes right. away, and and just waited out there. But Roberta's is amazing, and then DeFara's. So
1: you did end up going.
0: Oh yeah, and we the pizza it. was awesome. The pizza was amazing. It was amazing, <laughs> and the calzone. Like you get a calzone and pizza. <sighs> I think if I had a last meal, it would be some sort of pepperoni pizza. It's just the comfort food, I guess. But it'd be yeah. pepperoni pizza and a glass of burgundy, and um, I'm—I
1: think I'm good. Yeah, well, you have everything you need. You got starch, you got fat, and you got salt. That's there you it. go. What That's is your
0: la- what is your last meal?
1: Oh man, I would uh, I would really like to probably have a French Laundry meal. <laughs> as my last meal, I've said
0: that before too. <laughs> I've, I've been asked that. Oh uh, man, just go out with a bang. Yep. Just some champagne and caviar to start the night off. Oysters and
1: pearls (laughs) with Thomas cooking and surrounded by family and friends, and that's it. That's
0: great. That sounds amazing.
1: Well, Grant, I really appreciate the time. Thank you.
0: Thank you for coming on. Nice
1: chatting. Yeah, this was great. Awesome.
0: That's it for today's show. A few quick things before we go. The NBA season is heating up, so check out the Ringer NBA show, which now runs five days a week. I have no idea how those guys find time for that as well as all the great basketball coverage over at the ringer.com. If you have suggestions about the show, you can reach out to me on Twitter at JJ Reddick. We'll be back next week. Until then, if you enjoyed the podcast, make sure to give us a rating and review over at Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening.